my life has been a complete whirlwind. I've been homeless, I've been a drug addict, I've been in a car wreck that killed my mom, debilitated me as a juvenile. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us are not very good at it. That includes me. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, and I hope better conversations, with attempt survivors. Certainly going to try. Now we are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone, so please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you're a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. And I want to thank everybody who has been listening from all over the world these past three and a half months. These stories matter. They really matter. So I appreciate it. I'm glad they're getting out there to more people in more places. Today, I am talking with Rain. Rain lives out in Colorado, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Rain. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. Where are you, by the way? I am in Colorado. All right, Mr. Rain in Colorado. I think most people who have attempted suicide aren't that open to talking about it. You know what I mean? They're not super like, yeah, I want to tell the world or whoever's listening about it, but you're not that person. And I'm wondering why it is that you're comfortable doing that and sharing. It's like my life has been a complete whirlwind and there's been so many layers to my life and it's just like if i didn't share any of it you know if i didn't share the things then people would miss out i would think i've been homeless i've been a drug addict i've been in a car wreck that killed my mom debilitated me as a juvenile yeah you went Uh, through all of that as a kid yes sir so you were homeless you lost your mom you were an addict that's a that's a ton to deal with man Let's just jump in. You have one attempt or more than one attempt? I've lost count over the years. Wow. All right. So there's been a lot. You want to start? I'm just curious if we can talk about uh, the first one and you share what you want. You know, if you want to go detail, that's great. If you don't, I totally respect that. And we'll take it from there. Is that okay? Yes, sir. All right. So let's go. Let's go back. The earliest memories I have of, of, of anything uh, is mutilating myself like when I was five or four, four bordering on five. I just started cutting and then it's like I've cut my arm off, I've cut my legs, I've cut my stomach, you know, and it just turned to more depression because in my writings, they, they, they told me to write and then I get committed. And then they told me that I cut and they, I get committed. Mm. You know, I'd write and I get committed. And I cut. I eventually okay. tried to slip my wrist. How old were you? Six, seven. You were six or seven years old? Yeah. I feel today that the mutilation was 
crying out as I am transgender. And mm -hmm. I just didn't know it then. Got it. Being denied the things that I felt that I needed or wanted as a kid or whatever did that. It turned me to cutting and then I gave up in my head because of like physical abuse and uh, sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Not abuse ongoing, but like it happenings. Sure. When I was young. When you tried, was it something that your people in your life knew that you tried? It was a kind of a secret. I tried to keep it hidden as long as it could, but you know, people eventually saw and started noticing, you know, cuts and then they started examining, you know, like cuts and trying to find other cuts and they did. And, you know, I couldn't keep it secret long. Yeah. My life skyrocketed. Like when I was a kid, I was a black belt when I was nine. I was a world competitor when I was 12. And then nine months after world competition, my mom was taking me to Taekwondo and that's when we got in the wreck. So you were a Taekwondo competitor? Yes, sir. And then you lost your mom? Yes, sir. Um, and you were in the car? And, and, and my entire left, and use of my left side, like a stroke and from a traumatic brain injury. In that wreck? Yes, sir. So you watched your mom die? I you... don't remember. I was in a coma for a month. So I was in a coma when my mom's funeral happened. Wow. I was in the car with my mom when she, when she died. Yeah. Uh, I, I have no memory of it. I'll never be who I was, you know, and it's just, it's defeating. Sure. How old are you now? 35. And so from when you first tried as a kid, you said multiple attempts from then until, when was the last one? 28, right before I came out as trans, as non-binary. I still visited psychiatric centers mm -hmm. a couple times between 28 and 31 when I started hormones. Mm -hmm. Since I've, I mean, not saying hormones are a miracle drug or anything, but it's just gotten me more level than it's, it's made me more comfortable with myself. Yeah. When you first tried and then, you know, after that, did you get some kind of help in some way, in any way? I had, I was in physical therapy and stuff, but the state dropped me, insurance dropped me a couple years into it because I wasn't making progress. I messed my ankle up early on, and I actually remember doing that in the hospital, but then they were like, no, you just sprained it. It'll get better. We'll walk it off. You know, I went 20, 21 years wow. walking on the side of my foot. It was awful pain, and it was like two steps, stop, two steps, stop, literally for like 20 years, and then wow. I finally had surgery and plates, pins, screws, but I can walk now. Yeah, I man. finally graduated out of my braces. That must feel good. It's pretty awing. Wow, I can actually like walk again instead of just trying to walk. So I'm curious to learn more about your like when you're a kid, teenager, sort of general stuff about how it was for you growing up. I know it sounds pretty hard, but how would you characterize that? I lived a lower class, not like Dolly Parton, rot gut poor, but you know, <laughs> I was. I, I only had what I had. My parents only gave me so much, you know. And they gave me Taekwondo. And yeah. that was like my thing. That was my that was my dream and that was what I that was what I did to the to the bitter end. You said that again? You were going to Taekwondo when the wreck happened? Yes, sir. Mm. Then like after the wreck, my mom you know, my mom went there and it was just my dad and I. 
he put me in state custody when I was 14. Mm-hmm. And I was in state custody in children's homes for a couple of years. I bounced around to a couple of them from 13 to 17. Mm-hmm. And then I, I <laughs> ended up running away from one. Ended up going to jail because the girls that ran away, the girls that I ran away with were, you know, young, 11, 14, and 15. Mm-hmm. And then I was 17. I was considered having taken them hostage or something, you know. So, uh, contributing to the delinquency of minors is what I got charged with. Wow. That, you know, I aged out of the system, obviously. Yeah. I couldn't go back. Then I was homeless because my dad wouldn't let me cover my coat. And I was homeless for the first time in New Orleans. Oh, you were not in Colorado at that time? No, I'm from Louisiana. So you went from the homes to the street? Homeless, yes. Yeah. I managed to get back to my dad's house and then went to Texas and was beaten by a girl for a long time. And I stayed with her for a long time. And then I finally escaped from her, like literally, like ran away, cutting this whole time because she didn't care. You were cutting your, what, your arms? My, my arms, myself, like my wrist, everything, like trying to kill myself. I left Louisiana and I went to Houston. Mm-hmm. It was actually, that was before Laura. Mm-hmm. And I was addicted to crack for three years, homeless in Texas. Then... I went back to Louisiana, then I went back to Texas, and that was when I was beaten by Laura. Rain, you have not had an easy life, man. No, sir. It's pretty amazing that you're alive in some ways, right? The blessing and the curse. Yeah. In some ways, I know, like, for me, I can only think of my own life, like, certain ways I act or live is a sort of slow suicide. But the ways when you sort of more quickly wanted to end your life, was it always with cutting, like, that first time? Well, it was with cutting, and then when I found, you know, crack, I tried to blow my heart up. I mean, like, it wasn't at first, because I was enjoying it too much. Once it was years on end of doing it, I was just like, screw it. I tried to OD, and I have OD'd unintentionally, ironically. Somehow I'm still alive, and the the maker, a maker, the, the universe, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a god driven person like in that respect over the years you know i was raised in the church Mm -hmm. but over the years i've fallen from (laughs) fallen from grace do you think there's a reason or do you think it's sort of arbitrary and you got a little lucky or unlucky depending on how you look at it i mean that's literally the stuff that keeps me awake at night because i'm just like why why is it i mean is is there is there is it just a joke is it cruel joke yeah arbitrary as you say no answers? You're still figuring it out? Or maybe... Uh... I guess I'll forever be figuring it out, as we all do. Yeah, right. No yeah. one actually knows why we're here. And so it was in your late 20s, so over five years ago that you last sort of really tried. Yeah. Sounds like you got some momentum going. I don't know if that's how you'd put it. Up until June of this year, July this year, excuse me, I've walked in pain. I have quality of life in my foot now as i mentioned i've i've came out as trans when i was 28 mm-hmm. and i had chest surgery top surgery in february and that relieved so much for me but then i still had my foot and now i got my foot done so i'm i still got my hand to go but 
I don't know if that'll ever come back. I mean, it's a podcast, but I can see Rain right now, and he's uh, showing me his left hand, which is doesn't function like most people's left hands. You can tell that pretty clearly. Let me ask you a few questions that aren't really directly related to suicide, but I think might help some people who are listening to this. What's it like to be, and and, and if I get the wording wrong, just tell me I'm wrong and fix it for me, please. What's it like to be trapped in the wrong, what is it? Can I say gender? So you could theoretically say that because that, you know, that that's what's said. I, that's <laughs> the shit that keeps me awake at night. I don't know how to describe that actually really. Um, I'm not a chick. I mean, I was born with a chest and not a lower half. Right. But I never felt like a girl. And I was always told that, you know, no, but you're not a boy. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a boy. And I still don't want to, I, I don't want to be a man, even though I want a beard. Okay. But I don't want a chest. I don't want, I don't want lower surgery enabling me to stand to pee. But, you know, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes with different people, different, have different reasons for going about the things they do. Yeah. When you say non-binary, the way you describe it, that's why you're using that that term, right? Non-binary. Yeah, I'm I'm androgynous. I don't have a chest. I, I don't want a chest, but I don't want to. I don't want a dick, frankly. Right. But I don't want to be identified as a girl either. Now, another sort of what's it like question, because you've experienced so much. I'm very curious. What's it like to be homeless? Well, camping is just an expensive way to be homeless for a few days. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's liberating to a degree. Besides right. the fact of being cold, rained on, sunburnt, whatever the whatever the uh, what the weather is that time of year. Technically, no bills, no house payments, no. There's a bit of freeingness. How long were you homeless for? For three years. Three years, Louisiana, Texas. Texas? Louisiana, oh, Louis- Houston, Texas. Okay. Pre-Katrina, during Katrina, and post-Katrina. In New Orleans? In Houston. Oh, in which Houston. Houston got the outside of the storm. So we got three or four feet underwater in the middle of the road. Cars were bottoming out everywhere. I woke up in, in puddles and threatening to, to drown me. I, I sleep that hard. I had to wake up during the night and push the water off the top of the tent so it didn't leak on us. And I say us, my first husband. And I, I've lived a lot of facets of life. Yeah. Wait, how many spouses have you had? <laughs> two. I have had two ex-husbands. And where are they now? They're both deceased. They're both deceased. Yes, sir. Wow. In saying that, they were much older than me because if I was going to be with a man, they were going to have experience. I don't mean in the bed. I mean life experience. Right. And society, family, and friends told me I should be with a man. So you're with older men who are now gone. Yes. Uh, Robert died from cancer. Nolan died from a stroke. Did they know that you were trans? I I identified as a lesbian married to a man when I was with them. Right. To the public. And they're like, well, that's not possible. And I'm like, well, it's kind of that's that's what I can't explain it any other way. Yeah. So I always knew there was a discrepancy somewhere. When I was homeless and smoking, smoking crack, I had long hair. I had a big chest and guys, stiff dick have no conscience. Yeah. Not saying that all men are like that, but you know, like, no, I get it. 
in that world, all men are like that. Yeah. With all that stuff of going, dealing with homes and growing up in the way you did, were you able to finish school? Uh, I actually graduated class of 2016 via Penn Foster. What is that? Uh, online accredited high school or college diploma. Awesome, yeah. man. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My class should have been 2004. I paid $2,2168 to get a piece of paper that said my dead name. My previous legal name. Right. So this name, Rain, is uh, what? what is that? It's I chose this name. Got it. It's a cool name. Thank you. So how'd you end up in Colorado? Uh, a dear, dear friend of mine moved from Florida to Colorado and got me information on a uh, co-op in Boulder. I was able to make the trip from Florida where I was to Boulder and live there for a couple months, but I got kicked out because they said that I was racist. And they said that if I had to say that I wasn't a racist, then I probably was a racist. But I'm just, I'm coming fresh from the South. By all rights, you know, being from Louisiana, Robert E. Lee High School in my hometown, I, but I'm not. And I have some off-color jokes and they're not for everybody. Right. <laughs> they didn't take kindly to it. And so I've, Went from there to Broomfield, from there to Westminster, from there to Inglewood, from there to Arizona, from there back here to Aurora. Like so little stability, right? Up and back, back. That's and forth. been ever since I left my dad's house when I was, you know, 14. Do you think that you'd be able to stay in one place for a while at this point? Or is your DNA almost like, I got to move, I got to go? I'm kind of a, a nomad, a kind of a vagabond. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would like to stay in one place for longer than whatever because I kind of like my stuff and I have too much stuff to carry on my back anymore. Yeah. I can't move around like I used to. I have, I, I got settled in a bedroom and I, I collected stuff and <laughs> my stuff is my stuff and I like my stuff. Yeah. Are you clean now? So, I mean, yeah. I can't pass a, p a piss test because of pot, but, you know, besides that, I drink alcohol. I, I drink because I'm a karaoke addict. <laughs> I, my addiction, my addiction changed. I, I'm addicted to something, you know, like, like music, like singing karaoke. I'm not the best and not the worst, but I have bands and a catchphrase. What is it? That was my catchphrase. That's the catchphrase? I'm not the best. I'm not the worst, but I have fans. Got you. That's not a bad catchphrase. I mean, have you heard it before? I've never heard it before. That's what makes exactly. it good. <laughs> That's what you want. I know that you said you had a friend that you originally moved to Colorado to uh, connect with. Like, How many people do you have in your life to talk about stuff that you really need to talk about? A handful. More than zero, though. That's good. Yeah. If, if, if I need any, you know, then, then there's social media. There's friends that I've never met that have, you know, become closer than people that I've known my whole life. Yeah. So what these days keeps you going? Don't have a drive. I, I don't know. It's like what keeps me going is the fact that I wake up every day. Yeah. That I just keep continuing to wake up and it's just like, well, damn, I got to. Okay. This is a tough question, but do you think 
Might you try again? Do you think you'll try again? Probably. It's ever in my head. I just haven't done anything about it in the last six or seven years because I don't want to be committed again against my will. And I don't want to like not be able to go outside for a cigarette or, you know, like figure if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I'm not ready to do it yet. Like last week I talked to somebody and she said, the one thing that was keeping her from trying again was not wanting to go back to where they put her at some, some kind of mental facility, mental health facility. How many times have you been committed? I guess is the word. I've lost count. Really? Since I was a kid, even when I was a kid, I lost count. Like before the age of 10, I lost count. Wow. Have any of those experiences been positive? They've all been like either not, not nothing to write home about or... As, as I got older and, you know, realized stuff about myself, about, like, the trans stuff and, the, you know, like, when, when I was last committed, it was before I started hormones. I had a problem with the female, like, being referred to as a female, being on the female side, going to the female restroom, that, that was such. They actually made accommodation for me. I had my own bathroom, like, own private bathroom. I'm not the type that needs to be drugged or held down or, like, restrained. That's not in my character. Like, it's just a waiting game when I get in there. It's like, when am I going to get out? When, when, when can the doctor see me? What yep. do I say? And so right now, given your life, I'm imagining you're not getting any sort of treatment, be that counseling or therapy or even medication. I have a, a therapist, a gender therapist. He, but we talk about everything. I've seen him once a week for like the last, since I've been here. Oh, in person or like on Zoom? Well, I used to see him in person, but now it's Zoom mm-hmm. or telehealth. Is that helpful? Yes. That and I, I do a support group on Mondays, a trans support group that I've gone to for roughly a year. Yeah, man. Some kind of community has got to help as long as it's a you know a decent community. You've gone through so much. I never know, Rain, who's listening to this stuff, right? They're out there. They hear it. But given that you've dealt with several suicide attempts, being abused, homeless, losing a parent, being uh, addicted to drugs and trans. And so it's just a lot. So I'm wondering if someone out there hears it that connects with any of those or maybe all of those and is struggling, do you have anything? I know you don't know them, right? You can't really personalize this message, but is there any words that might I don't know, resonate with them. I'm usually a pot of, of stuff, but I don't have anything right now. I just don't want to sound cliche. Yeah, I hear you. I appreciate your honesty. For anybody out there who has someone in their life who's struggling and they're not sure how to deal with them, you know, or they might be saying these things that aren't really very helpful. Do you think there's something you could say to them so that they might not cause any additional problems or might even be able to help in some way? Again, it would be... It would that would be a cliche answer but then there's like i i want to say you know like give them time give them time to yourself you know like let the person come be but then sometimes that's it can be too late and yeah. the person might need someone to come to them so yeah. that's just, that's a catch-22 oh by the way it said that you were meeting dna relatives that you never knew i was adopted when i was born and I met the woman that gave birth to me on my birthday, as well as her other four children that she had. Wow. Outside of the guy that got her pregnant with me. 
The guy that got her pregnant, she had me in secret. She gave me up for adoption in secret. The guy that got her pregnant with me died a couple years after I was born. So I met Jonna. And then I went back to live with her post-surgery on my foot to um, help try to recover. But then we had a falling out, and I, I came back to Colorado. And then most recently, I went to literally in the house that I was in was in Texas. If I went across the street and checked the mailbox, I would be in Louisiana. Oh, wow. Uh, and I met Brent's side of the family, the guy that got her pregnant with me, his remaining family, like my blood relatives. So I met a couple cousins and my uncle and their wives and the kids and stuff. And it was cool. The uncle, Uncle Norman or whatever, he, he told me if he didn't know better, he would think it was a ghost sitting across from him, at, from him at the table because I looked so much like Brent when he was younger. They didn't know about me until I was like, hey, I think I'm your family. And they're like, no, there's no family relation because no one had kids other than who we know about. And I'm like, well, I, I think I think so. And they looked at my pictures and they're like, it's undeniable. You're your family. Yeah. Parts of my conversation with Rain, we ran into some tech problems. I hope you were able to hear most of our talk. Rain sent me an email, a powerful email. I asked him to read it to you, our listeners. So what you'll hear next is that email being read by Rain. I think it's a pretty powerful way to close out this episode. I first started cutting myself when I was about five years old. There was so much in my mind surrounding gender, even at that tender age. My body had been violated by boys in the public pool, and I was soon to be to physically develop before the other girls in my class. I knew I was different, but no matter how much I tried to express the feelings known only to me, I was fought tooth and nail by the adults, doing their best to, to, to deny me, telling me that I was too young to know what I felt thus causing early-onset depression. I cut to feel the pain and see the blood, then picked the scabs to experience it all again. My parents took me to a shrink, Dr. R., who quickly prescribed me a plethora of medications. When the pills didn't work, I was sent to a psychiatric hospital, a few hours south of where I grew up. There, I was told to write, to describe my feelings when I felt them, with a pencil and paper instead of a razor to my flesh. I agreed. I was released to my parents, went home, felt stuff, wrote it down. That was always discovered. I had no privacy as a kid. And then I was recommitted because of my writings, on account of the fact that they were dark and they scared people. So it was cutting, ward, writing, ward, cutting, ward, writing, ward, five or six times by the time I was 10. At 13, I was in a debilitating car crash that killed my mom. The wreck left me paralyzed like a stroke on my left side. I have walked on the side of my foot, twisting every step in pain for 21 years. I have recently undergone two life-altering surgeries. The second, a corrective foot surgery. I have a toolbox of metal in my foot, but I'm sure of one thing. I will never twist it. It'll never twist on me again. Back to the gender discrepancies. Something has gnawed at me from early on, starting with my cringing at the sound of my then-given pronoun, and I didn't accept the things that went with that label. 
I was expected to dress in pretty dresses and not cut my hair and make nice with the boys, not to be rugged alongside of them. After the wreck, my dad put me into state's custody because essentially he couldn't deal with my acting out. Being a single dad, I aged out of the system, became homeless, and started abusing drugs. I tried to kill myself countless times along the way using different methods, but I guess that my tries only resulted in scars and grief. Dad died a few years back. I've been on testosterone a little more than three and a half years, and the first of the two surgeries mentioned earlier was top surgery in February. That has taken a great deal off my chest, literally and figuratively. I can't say that I don't go to that dark place in my mind ever, but it's less often. Only now does it feel I can continue because I can walk and pretty much gender correctly. And it's, but this is only the beginning. I have a long way yet to go yet. I'm 35 now. I'm blessed. It's a blessing and a curse to be upright and on this side of the grass. You shared a lot and I think it'll help people. And that's the main goal of the podcast. So thank you for that. Okay, sweet. Thank you. Stay well, Rain. And uh, I hope Colorado, I don't know, man. I hope it's, uh, hope it's home for you. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Have a good day, man. Be safe. Bye. Later. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Rain out in Colorado. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please email us hello at suicidenoted.com. You can follow us on social media at Suicide Noted. We release new episodes every Monday. Until we connect again, stay strong, do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.